Good to see you here tonight. Take your Bibles, please. Join me in Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue our excavation of Ephesians. For three weeks already, we've been discussing children and their need to obey. One was spent looking at the need for godly children, and then a week was spent on the need for obedience, and last week on the need for correction and its benefits. Let's begin today in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. The Bible commands children to obey their parents in the Lord. Why? Why? For this is right. We saw last week how all of us are born sinners. How our sin nature manifests itself in the earliest stages of life. All the way back to birth. Therefore, proper biblical training of our children must begin early on. And the proof that all children will naturally buck against authority against their parents, at some point in their childhood, it's proven because this command is here. Children obey your parents. It wouldn't be there if we didn't have a problem with it. But the command is here for a reason. The very fact this command is given means that godly, obedient children, like we've been talking about, they don't just happen naturally. You just, don't raise, you just don't have kids and one day you look back and go, wow, I didn't have to do a thing and they turned out great. It takes work. People sometimes will look at a family with respectful, godly, obedient children and say things like, you sure are blessed. And I don't doubt God's blessing in it for one minute. But what they neglect to see is all the hard work and consistency that has taken place through the years when nobody else was looking. The blessings you see is because God honors His Word. He honors His Word. If we do things according to His Word, we'll see the result of that. It's not because these children over here were born more righteous than these children over there. They're all born in sin. They all have a sin nature. They all have the same propensities. They all are capable of the deepest wickedness. We're all born that way. The blessings that we see is because there were parents who took time to work with their children. Obedient children takes work. Now the proof that all are sinners across the board is evident is evident once that child moves out. Because almost without fail, children will move out, and to one extreme or the other, they will neglect some principles that you tried to instill in them. Some standards, some convictions, something that you thought was important, something that you raised them to obey. When they move out, we find out, wait a minute, there was something in the heart that they didn't give to God. Everybody with me? 
And, and I'm just saying, look, when, when we look at a situation like that, we might think, oh, see, God doesn't honor His Word or else they wouldn't have turned out that way. Wait just a minute. Even when that happens, it still probably more proves because that child was obedient, they were respectful when they were in the home and under that authority and following those rules, proving God's Word is right. Now, if they move out and decide to reject that and rebel against that, that's a hard issue between them and God. And, and look, there's just certain things that we can't do. I can't make my child accept Christ as their Savior. Well, I wish I could. But that'd be works-based salvation, and that would go against Scripture. There's just certain things we can't do. We just have to know that going into this. But when they're under your roof, they ought to obey you. And as I was saying, it's not uncommon to see a child raised in a godly home to leave off some things. But I would tell you that that's all part of becoming an adult. I had to go through some things that I learned the hard way. And I was raised, uh, I was definitely raised to obey. And there are still things that I rebelled against. And I had to learn after I moved out of the house. Now, the same person who sees your obedient children in the light of their disobedient children will typically go on to say something like, well, not if you had my kids. <laughs> You're right about that, because if I had your kids for three days, they'd be a different kid. You let them live in my house and they'll come back differently. No, they'll probably go back the same, but they won't be, they'll be different in my house. I'll guarantee you that. Sometimes it's just presence. Adrian and I, when we have the privilege to go out to supper together, we always get a booth. I will wait two hours just to get a booth. And sometimes there's a kid that's kind of in front of you there on the other side of the booth. Adrian always sits across from me. We're not that couple that sits next to each other and eats. Um, not against you if you are, amen. You're just a little weird. And <laughs> so... And there'll be a child that'll kind of be, you know, clearly has never been made to sit still in their entire life. And they're running around and they're jumping all over the booth. They're climbing up and, and they're just acting a fool. And I can just look at that kid a certain way. And he'll sit down and shut up. That's a fact. There's something about presence is all I'm saying. There's something about presence. Now, what they tend to do is crawl into one of their parents' laps and then kind of sheepishly keep peeking to see if you're... I'm talking little kids, okay? Once they hit a certain age, it, they're rebellious. Statistically speaking, children will more quickly obey dad than they will mom. <laughs> they won't push the envelope quite as far with dad. This is why I think the Bible places such a strong emphasis on the dad's role in raising children. We see it time and time again throughout the whole Bible. In fact, we're going to see it here in verse 4. When the dad is the one addressed for the nurture and the admonition. And so there's something about a dad's presence in the home. I'm sure we'll get to the stats at some point in this series. Many series within the many series within the series. But God addresses the fathers often. What's the difference between those with obedient and respectful children and those with disobedient and disrespectful children? Well, assuming that there's no learning disability of some kind, 
And every situation is there. I've got to be careful what I'm saying here, but I hope you understand we're, we're assuming somewhat of a level playing field here. It comes down to godly child rearing. When you see a teenager who is respectful and obedient and at least gives the form of godliness, then I can almost always promise you that in the home there's been consistency in discipline. Consistency. You're going to hear that a lot tonight. And here's the deal. It started all the way back there when they were just youngsters learning how to walk and so forth. Now, you can get away with more when you only have one kid, but you start having three and four kids, you better start having your kids in order. You just don't have the time. And it's got to start all the way back there when they're little. I closed last week by saying I'll give you my opinion on what that looks like. Remember that we talked about the need for correction in a child's life We looked at what the Bible has to say about corporal punishment, i.e. spanking. Not abuse, not abuse, not abuse, but godly discipline. And I know we live in a day when the Bible in many ways, in many areas, it is deemed abuse to spank your child today. We don't look to the Bible as the authority on raising kids any longer. And and I know that. I I know we live in a time where some people will call DSS on you as soon as they think you've touched your kid the wrong way. Or even spanked your kid for that matter. And children are being taught in school, you can have your, your parents locked up. I read a case today from 2005 where that happened in the state of South Dakota. But contrary to popular belief, corporal punishment is still legal in all 50 states. I made sure because I wasn't going to post this message if I thought I was in danger of saying something I shouldn't say. One case in South Dakota stated, quote, just to give you an idea that it's not popular today, spanking is out of favor under modern theories of child rearing, yet the legislator still recognizes the parent's right to enforce physical punishment, end quote. Now, obviously, if you, if you foster children, you're under a whole different set of rules. You do whatever you agree to. And in some cases, that's understandable. These kids come out of abusive environments, and the last thing they need is, uh, is a certain kind of environment. So we we've, we've understand that. I just want you to know that there's a different approach sometimes physically because people have been physically abused, mentally abused, emotionally abused. In most cases, if you'll get your child under control at an early age, you won't have major problems with their attitude once they're grown. And you'll be surprised how little you actually have to exercise corporal punishment in their life because you've already instilled principles. I can tell you we've trained our children from the earliest stages. And I'll just be honest with you, I can't remember the last time I've spanked my children. There comes a point when, this is my opinion, and much of tonight is. There comes a point where I think spanking is no longer effective anyhow. Uh, I know that happened in my life. My dad finally was like, this is doing absolutely no good. And I said, yeah, that's right. Um, And and not to mention, in in my opinion, I think there comes a point where it's no longer appropriate. As my daughter got older, it just got weird. And I said, no, I, I, I can't do this. And so there just needed to draw back a little bit. As my boys have gotten older, um, once, once boys start becoming men, like Luke's age, uh, 
I just don't really see the point at that point. That's just my opinion. But I can say that because I've dealt with him back when he was little bitty. And so there's not an issue. There are still issues that come up, but there's not a need for. By the time your children hit puberty, you ought to have been consistent enough in their life that they no longer need it anyhow. Because by, the, by that point in their life, you're dealing with a whole different child. Mentally, their attitude's different. you got to explain things different. They're becoming adults, and we want to prepare them for the real world. And, and, and there's just things that change in their life, and they're way different than they were when they were toddlers. And you say, well, duh. Well, you'd be surprised because people come with their rebellious teenagers. What do I do? Well, you should have done what you should, you know, back when they were toddlers. That's what you should have been doing then. But now it's too late because they're just going to rebel further. Because at that point, it's doing no good. They're just taking their punishment, and they're going on and doing their thing. Um, the only way to, uh, to overcome these things later on in life is through consistency. Now, how do we go? Is everybody okay tonight? I just felt like it was tense last week, and I know we're talking a hot-button issue here tonight, and, and I sure don't mean to say anything that's offensive. So how do we go about all of this? You can do with this tonight as you see fit, Okay. Just my opinion. First of all, parents, they need to say what they mean and mean what they say. If you say stop, it means stop. (laughs) If you say come here, it means come here. Immediately. Let me emphasize this so that we are all absolutely clear. What I am talking about tonight is for your child. Don't you ever lay a hand on another child. You're heading for trouble. That's the day and age in which we live. It's no longer okay for neighbor's mama to come over and beat your kid like they used to. (laughs) And if you grew up like I did, you were still getting a spanking when daddy came home. And that's if mom didn't get you first. So you might end up with three. (laughs) Don't lay your hands. And listen, if you're in ministry in this church and you work with little kids and stuff, don't you touch those kids. Don't you do it. Adrian and I were married six and a half years before we had children. Now, that was fine with me because I was only 18 when we got married. I was two months away from 19, if it makes you feel any better about my young age. And uh, we, we had plenty of time there. Sydney was born. I was still only 25. But God began to have us under wise counsel early on in our marriage. First, I had the experience of my upbringing. And then God was placing us in really good churches under good preachers, good pastors who really emphasized the family. And many people have been instrumental down through the years for us before we had our own children. And even after we had Sydney. Just to give you three off the top of my head, the, the Shiflet family, who I don't think many of you know. Some of you may know about them. The Shiflet family... Renee Palmer was one that really helped, and the Summerdorfs. And those were just instrumental in our lives before we had children to help us to know what to do later on. After Korea, we ended up in Biloxi, Mississippi at Keesler Air Force Base where we attended Grace Independent Baptist Church. We weren't there long at that point, but it had a lifelong impact on us just the short time we were there. And that's why it's really important we, we reach our military while they're here to 
because you can have a lifelong impact on them. And, and that's what happened to us there. One of the things which stood out while we were there, we were attending their missions conference, which is every February. And a man by the name of Stacy Shiflett showed up. He was on his way to South Africa. He now pastors in Maryland. And his children were so well-behaved. And I mean little guys. We're talking diapers. They were so well-behaved. They didn't act up. They didn't act out. They were quiet. They would, after the service, say, come here. And the little kid would come here. I want you to sit down right there. The little kid would sit down right there. And we were just kind of in awe of this. We were like, wow, that's really cool. Well, come to find out, they used the rod. And that got Adrian to talk to Mrs. Shiflet. And Mrs. Mrs. Shiflet had a secret weapon called a glue stick. And I don't know, think about that long or so. And you just popped a kid. And they would just know that you meant business. It was magic. It really made it stick. <laughs> now, I've heard a lot of opinions on whether or not you should use an implement like a rod. If you should ever use your hands, um, I've, I've heard all these opinions. People say, well, if you use your hand, they're going to associate you with the punishment. Well, they're going to do that if you're holding a paddle. I, I just never really understood that one. And I want you to get this tonight. It's not the hurt. It's the action of being disciplined. When my children were little, I used my hand. When they got bigger, I used a belt. And when they were in between, I used a paint stick from Lowe's. Because those things are so weak, you can pop somebody with those, they break in half, and I didn't have to worry about applying too much force. And my dad used that on his grandson, my nephew, and it worked out pretty well. Here's my advice. The most I have ever done in my life. I think without, well, there might be one or two, okay? I don't want to say every time. But the most is three swats, that's it. I don't believe in beating your kid with a bunch of repetitious beatings. I don't think that's wise. You don't have to hurt your children. And listen, this is my opinion. I don't think you should ever bruise your child. I don't think that's wise. All you're trying to do is teach them a lesson. Just to be clear, you've heard me say start at the earliest stages. That doesn't mean spanking a newborn. But in that case, I believe what it means, if you want to start at that age, when they're pitching a fit because they don't want to sleep through the night, you just let them scream. And, and listen, you got to be careful. Some of you men got to be careful. You get a newborn, they start driving you absolutely nuts because they won't shut up. How many cases have we heard where somebody shook a child and they died? You just need to lay that child down gently and walk away. Go get help. Don't do anything stupid. It's not worth it. When it was time for Sydney to start sleeping through the night, we lived on base in a fourplex, which is now Antelope Bridge. We knew she was going to scream her head off through the night, and we let the neighbors know. It wasn't uncommon for people to call security forces on you. And so we let our neighbors know, hey, we're going to try to teach our, our daughter to sleep through the night. You're going to hear her scream. We're not touching her. Uh, she's just pitching a fit. Everything's okay. And um, so we let them know that. And I'll give you a quick story here. Some of you will appreciate this. Shortly before we made that decision to let Sydney scream it out, quote unquote. And, and remember, we were first time parents. 
Sydney would scream. Adrian would go in and check on her. And of course, she would scream until she was held again. And then she would shut up. And as soon as she was laid down, guess what? She would scream again. Is everybody with me? You know what I'm talking about? And I kept encouraging Adrian to let her scream it out. Because I'm, I'm less sensitive. Amen. <laughs> and Adrian being a mother, and especially a first-time mother. And so we had to make sure everything was okay. Had to do that time and time again. Well, there came one night when we were going to be strong. We're not going to yield for her crying, and we're going to let her cry. We're, gonna, we're all going to sleep through the night one day, and it's going to be glorious. So we put her down, Adrian did. Gets her all calmed down, lays her down in the crib. She quietly walks away. And don't you know it, as soon as Sydney realized that mom was not in the room, she starts screaming again. And I mean pitching an absolute fit. But remember, we're going to be strong. We're not going to give in. We're going to see this thing through. So we're being strong, and, and by golly, Sydney's going to learn to sleep through the night. Well, we're laying in the other room wide awake because Sydney's screaming her head off. Well, all of a sudden, as we're lying there awake, she shuts up. We're like, oh, thank you, God. It's working. And, and Adrian says, can you just go in there and make sure she's okay? And I'm like, yeah, so I, and she's just the next door over. So I, I sneak out and the door's not closed all the way. And, and so I just kind of start nudging it open. And I'm expecting to see my precious little girl lying there asleep and having sweet dreams and, and thinking about ladybugs and butterflies. And, and, and I just nudged the door open and, and that little booger was standing up in the corner of the crib looking right at the door and as soon as somebody opened that door, and she starts screaming again. She starts pitching a fit. Our blessing from God. Now, we waited way too long to start with her, but she was our, our first child. And I'll give you some advice. You'll be far better off to just let your child scream it out for the first two or three nights and train them to sleep through the night than letting them train you to get up. I don't know what age you need to do that. You can figure that out for yourself. But back to my point, there's no, there's no need to spank a newborn. And if you feel like you're about to lose it, just lay them down, walk away. Now, as your child starts to grow, you might start giving them a swat on the bottom and saying no or something like that. And if spanking wasn't controversial enough in this day, then I've learned that this next statement is just as controversial. And you can take this for what it's worth, and I don't know that I'm wording this the right way. There may be a better way to say it. But parents, I believe you have to break the will of your child. And I don't know how to put it in, in different language, but remember from last week that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. What I mean by breaking their will is they need to learn to obey what you say when you say it. And it goes back to mean what you say and say what you mean. And by the way, the only rules that exist in your house are the ones you enforce. Consistency is the key. Your child may be different, but the way we began breaking our children's will was through what we called come here training. I don't know if you ever fully break their will because God has to do a work inside of them. But I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. We knew there would be times and situations where it would be absolutely critical that they come over here when we tell them to come here. And there are certain environments that I don't want them wandering too far from me because I don't trust people. And so we wanted them to know to obey when we said to obey. 
And so we started early on with come here training when they were still in diapers. And I don't know the age is really not important at this moment. But they were old enough to understand what I was saying, as you'll find out from this example I'm about to tell you. And I don't mean to sound like I'm picking on Sydney, but she was our first child, okay? And we learned the most from her. The rest of the children got easier and easier because we started figuring this out. But we were in the house either getting ready to leave one day or we were ready to leave. I can't remember which. I think we were ready to go out the door and I'm sitting on the couch. Sydney's over there playing with some toy on the floor where the kitchen meets the living room. And uh, I said, Sydney, come here. Well, she looked at me. She kept playing with her toy. So I picked her up. I gave her a swat on the bottom. I sat her back down and I repeated the process. Sydney, come here. She looked at me, went right back to playing again. I went over to her, gave her a swat, put her back down, repeated the process. By this time, she's crying a little bit, not out of pain, but because her little world has been disrupted. Keep in mind, I'm not getting upset. I'm not raising my voice. I'm not hurting her. I'm not reacting, but I'm acting. By the way, you should never have to yell at your kids. Sydney, come here. She looks at me, disobeys, and keeps playing. I go over, give her swat, set her back down, repeat again. And remember, we're talking about breaking a child's will. Calmly go over and uh, repeat the process. So this goes on for a while. I say, Sydney, come here. And then that little booger looks at me, turns her back to me, and keeps playing. I go over, give her a swat. Put her back down, repeat the process. Sydney, come here. And by this point, I'm stunned at my daughter's willing disobedience of this simple command of just come here. All of this can be over if you'll just get up and come here. But she's got it in her head. She doesn't want to obey, and so I keep repeating the process. And this continues uh, for some time, and, 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 and I'm trying to get her to see that she's got she's to stop doing this. And so uh, at last, I, I say, Sydney, come here. And God is my witness, this little girl looks at me, turns her backs to me, and lifts her bottom up for me. I said, well, if you're going to give me a moving target, I go over, give her a swat, put her back down. Sydney, come here. Eventually, she gets up, she walks over, and she comes to where I'm at over at the couch, and she finally obeys. Parents, I want, you to, I want you to understand, I believe with all my heart, you better win every time. You need to win every time. You're the authority. And you need to win those confrontations. So she eventually comes over and uh, we finally get the coat on her or whatever it was I was trying to do. Something real nice and sweet to keep her from dying in the cold, I'm sure. And, um, and so she comes over there and I'll tell you at that point it's critical that you love all over your child. And I gave her big hugs and I gave her kisses on the, on the cheek and, and I let her know how much I love her and how she needs to learn to obey. And, and listen, you always need to try to bring it back to a biblical principle. And that's what I always try to do. Bring it back to a biblical principle. And so I think we were leaving for church. <laughs> so we had to show up to church late. We had to get here and act like everything was fantastic in our life and that we had no issues that morning. Kind of like y'all do when you argue with your wife on the way into church. And, uh, and we got here and we, yeah, everything's going fine. So we went through the come here training with all four of our kids. And surprisingly, I think Sydney was the most defiant 
out of those. But um, let me just give you a few more examples here. I'll try to wrap this up. I want you to understand what I'm talking about tonight. After Sydney was born, I began preaching in Custer quite a bit. And, um, and, and this particular incident was a night service. We get done at church and, and we're, we get to the car. We put Sydney in the car seat, which is the legal safe thing to do. And we put her in there and what does she do? She starts pitching a fit and absolutely screaming her head off. And so we're driving home, and, and uh, I'm just not going to let her win. So we drive home. I think we stopped a couple times just to make sure everything was okay, and we're still, we're still new at this, okay? And uh, we're driving along, and we get, I think I got pulled over that night. Remember the cop pulled me over, and I said, well, my daughter's back here crying, and by the time he pulled me over, uh, she wasn't crying. He's like, yeah, right, and I told Adrian, pinch her or something, get her crying. And, uh, <laughs> and eventually she cried it out, but she wasn't going to win. You understand what I'm trying to say? There was a time we went to Slotsky's. I'll never forget. We remember when Slotsky's was over here on uh, La Crosse, and we were sitting there in the parking lot facing La Crosse, and we put Sydney in the car, or maybe we pulled up and hadn't even gone in yet. I can't remember. We hadn't gone in yet. Adrian was hungry, and I said, no, Sydney's not going to win this. She's going to sit there until she shuts up. I, I kid you not. It must have been an hour later. She finally shut up. I don't know if they closed by then or what, but we finally went on to get some food. She's not going to win. Are you with me? I never touched them on any of those. It's just You're not going to win. The, the seatbelt was doing all the work, amen? And uh, I'll pick on Luke for a moment. Uh, some of you may remember who, who've been here long enough, Luke had like four people he would let hold him without pitching an absolute fit. And we'd bring him in as soon as we turned the corner to go to the nursery. And he'd start pitching the fit. And so um, we got a little tired of that. And so as we turned the corner, I'd just take them on down to the stairwell down there, do what I had to do, would bring them back to the nursery. This went on for several weeks until they finally learned, don't pitch a fit when you get to the nursery. You have to win. And so we, we had to win with that. I remember when Luke was supposed to eat his green beans. We always have green beans for whatever reason. I guess we could care less about other vegetables. And so we're sitting there having supper and, um, with green beans, and Luke just flat out refused to eat his vegetables that day. And uh, he wasn't getting up till he ate those green beans. So he sat there until he ate all those green beans. You have to win. You have to win every time. You're the parent. You're the authority. Don't you let that kid run your home. I'm not going out and have my kid make a fool of me. I remember what Mrs. Summerdorf said. You embarrass me in public. I'll embarrass you in public. Amen. And I'm not putting up with it. So how does it look like when they get older? It's the same thing, just slightly different circumstances. You give a command, they need to sweetly obey. It's not obey by huffing and stomping. <sighs> Thank you, Father. I'm so glad to live here and that you feed me and clothe me and put a roof over my head. That's how they need to obey. <laughs> you tell them to come here, they better come here. And if you did it right early on, there's hardly an issue. It doesn't matter if they're playing in the yard, they're playing Xbox, they're watching television, they're on their phone. I don't care what they're doing. You tell them to come here. They better get up and start making their way to you right away. Now, my kids have been very good. That's not to say there hasn't been times that we haven't had to tune some things up, make some adjustments along the way. But I'll be honest with you, most of the hard work's over. Because it all started way back here. And I'm just trying to encourage you. You start early, you stay consistent, you're going to have much better uh, time with them down the road. 
Mean what you say and say what you mean. If you give them an if-then scenario, then you better be consistent and follow through with it. I remember my dad said, son, you need to cut the grass where you go with the church off to the, the waterfalls up there in, in North Georgia. And I said, yes, sir. Church van pulls up in the driveway. The grass isn't cut. I start walking out. My dad said, where are you going? I, well, the church is here. He said, you cut the grass? I said, no. He said, then you go tell them you can't go. And they had to come out of their way to come to Paulton County to come and get me. And I had to sit there and look at the youth leader. Sorry, I can't come with all, everybody looking at me, all the teens. I can't come because I didn't cut the grass. You mean what you say, and you say what you mean. And if, if you give them an if-then scenario, you don't budge on it. You teach them the lesson. There are consequences for what you do. There's consequences in life. And if we don't teach it to them when they're this age, they're going to get out there in the real world, and we're living in a day now where the school ain't teaching it to them. And they're going to get out there in the real world, and they're going to realize, wait a minute, my boss is a jerk. No, he's not. He's just giving you a reasonable expectation that you don't want to follow because you've never been made to obey. Follow through. Never abuse. Never bruise, never overdo it, but you win every time. And I didn't get as far as I intended again. Next week, I'll try to finish this thought and then also talk about willing obedience and um, obedience versus willing obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Let's pray.